Put your hands together. Good worship. A good God. It's going to be a good year. Say the word prepared. That wasn't very good. You were not prepared to say that word that time. Say the word prepared. prepared. Say the word useful. Say the word prepared. Say the word useful. My question of you today, God's question of us this year is, are we preparing our lives to be useful to God, to make an impact in our world spiritually? If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Because this, we are beginning a brand new service today, uh, a brand new series today called Soul Detox. And all month long, we are trying to figure out as a church how we can prepare our lives to make a spiritual impact this year. And we are talking about the areas of our life that we need to get cleaned up, that we need to get cleaned out, that we need to get prepared to be useful to God. Now, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisles. They're going to have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. They can give you one. This can be yours to keep. Put your name in it, uh, and, and it's our gift to you. Um, if you do have a Bible at home but just forgot it but would like to follow along as we open the Bible and read today, then the ushers will give you a Bible. We've given away more than 300 Bibles in the last year and a half at our church this way, so uh, it'd be a great joy of ours to give you a Bible if you don't have one. Um, and we will, I know there's some people just kind of trickling in. Uh, we'll find some more seats for you. Just flag down an usher, and they'll make sure you're seated. But in 2 Timothy 2, um, verses 20 and 21, we see the Apostle Paul who probably was the greatest Christian pastor who ever lived. And he has a young man that he's been mentoring by the name of Timothy. And he has taken Timothy all over, all over really Europe, all over the Middle East with him, starting churches, leading people to Jesus, helping people mature spiritually. Uh, and, and in one of these cities, he left Timothy, and he told Timothy, listen, I'm going to go plant a new church. You stay here. You lead this church. A lot of people think when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, Timothy was living in Ephesus where he was the pastor, uh, and Paul was actually in jail in Rome. But Paul talked to Timothy about preparing his life to be useful for God. I don't know about you, but as I start this new year, January 6, 2013, I've got a desire that this 365-day cycle of my life is useful for God. I want to get to December 31, 2013, and look back and say, you know what, this was a good year I felt like I made a difference for God. I feel like I fulfilled my God-given uh, abilities to live for God and serve God. But we're going to talk all month long about what we need to do to get to a place to do that. So maybe January might not look great on our spiritual resume this year, but February through December should be great if, we're, if we will apply what we learned this month. Here's what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 20, continuing into verse 21. He said, Timothy, just kind of a metaphor. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who will cleanse themselves from the latter, common things, will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. Now, there's those two words I gave you, prepared and useful. I want to read you that text again because Paul is telling us as Christians, how to get our lives ready to serve God, to be prepared to serve God, and to be useful living for God. Here's what Paul says needs to happen. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver. There's some things in our life that are very valuable, but there are also some things of wood and clay. There are some things in our life that don't hold much spiritual value. Some are for special purposes. Some are for common use. Those who will cleanse themselves from the latter. Those of us who will take time to figure out what in our life is there that maybe we can get out of our life so that we can be more useful to God? It says this, we'll be made instruments 
for special purposes, will be made holy, will be made useful to the master God, and will be prepared to do any good work. Now, at our church, we are all about not just building a church, not just having services on Sunday, not just, you know, one day getting land and one day building a building. We are about trying to motivate and lead people, as our mission statement says. Our mission statement is, as a church, we exist to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. We are trying to, every Sunday at our church, every time we hold a small group, every time we have a student ministry meeting, every time we have a kids' ministry meeting, this afternoon we'll have a production ministry meeting after church. In every meeting, we're trying to figure out how we can help the people in our church move closer to God so they can live useful and productive and passionate and impactful lives for God. And that's what this series, this month, is all about. We're going to look at four areas of our life that all of us just need to give ourselves kind of a self-evaluation of this year, our inner life, our outer life, our relationships, and then our missional life, the way we serve God, and how we can add in things that are going to be useful, how we can take away things that are maybe detracting from how we're living from God, and how we can set ourselves up to have the greatest year ever in 2013. If you still have your Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 7. And today we begin our Soul Detox series by looking at the inside. Why? Because Jesus says the inside is important. In Mark chapter 7, and just a little background on the book of Mark. Mark is, uh, Mark is a man who was, uh, we think, best friends with the apostle Peter. You might remember Simon Peter. He was not just one of the 12 disciples. He was probably the leader of the 12 disciples. Uh, and Mark was kind of a guy who followed Peter around. Mark was a guy that after Jesus died, he connected with Peter, went and did ministry with Peter. If Paul and Timothy hung together, Peter and Mark hung together. And scholars believe that Mark heard Peter talk about Jesus so much that he wrote everything that Peter said about Jesus down into a book that we have in our Bible as the Gospel of Mark. So every time I read the Gospel of Mark, I, I kind of read it as if I'm hearing the voice of Peter telling the story of Jesus, because we think the Gospel of Mark came pretty much from the lips of the Apostle Peter, who told him what Jesus said, how Jesus acted, the things they did together. And in Mark chapter 7, Jesus helped the disciples reflect on how important the inside, the inner life of their life was spiritually. And here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, about needing to every now and then have an inner detox of our life. And here's what Jesus said to the disciples in Mark chapter 7. Think about it from Peter as he sat there and listened. For it is from within, Jesus says, out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. Jesus just basically gives a list. That, you know, the things in life that are happening bad, they usually start on the inside. So Jesus says all these evils come from the inside, and they can defile a person. And as we read in 2 Timothy, Timothy saying to us, hey, you need to find the things in your life that are maybe getting you off track spiritually or the things in your life that should be there to get you on track spiritually that aren't there. Timothy said, you, Paul told Timothy, you need to do a self-evaluation to figure out what is inside you that shouldn't be, um, what needs to be inside you that's not, and you need to every now and then have an inner detox session where the bad comes out, the good goes in, and you begin to build yourself from the inside out. Today's message is how we build ourselves from the inside out. How do we, from the inside, from the heart, from the soul, from the very core of our being, how do we begin to make inner change that will change our life spiritually? Now that is a great question. 
And believe it or not, Jesus gives us the answer to that question in John chapter 17. I don't want you to turn to John chapter 17, but let me set it up for you. Because we say the Lord's Prayer, um, maybe if you grew up playing sports or if you grew up going to um, a parochial school or if you grew grew up in a Catholic faith or a more traditional faith, you've recited the Lord's Prayer over and over and over again. I think I said it before every athletic event that I ever played of any sport ever in the history of my life. It seems like my son's baseball team now, his coach is a great Christian man, and he has all the kids starting as third graders, last year's fourth graders. They'll say the Lord's Prayer after every baseball game. He's just, that's kind of his, his witness to the kids. The Lord's Prayer is not really the Lord's Prayer. Because Jesus never prayed, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, blah, blah, blah. You get it. Jesus, when the disciples said, how do we pray? Jesus said, here's a model for you. But that was not his prayer. Jesus never got on his knees and said the Lord's Prayer. He stood behind a podium and taught, this is how you should pray. In John 17, we find Jesus on his knees. The Bible records this prayer as the high priestly prayer, but this is really the Lord's Prayer. John chapter 17, to give you the context, Jesus is about 30 minutes from being arrested. Judas, one of his disciples, has decided to sell him out. He thinks Jesus will just be arrested. He doesn't understand that he'll be killed. Jesus and his disciples have had their last supper. Jesus has said, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be buried, but don't worry. I'll raise again, and I'll come meet you in Galilee, and I'll tell you what to do then. Things were getting ready to get very dark, very scary. So he and his disciples walked to a place where they often hung out. It was called the Garden of Gethsemane. In April, I was with about a dozen of the men in our church, and we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. I think we've got some pictures we can show you. Gethsemane literally means olive press. It is a, a today still, it's just a tree of olive gardens. Stay on that one right there if you would. They think that tree, I took that picture because they said that tree dates to more than 2,000 years ago, which means that tree could have stood in the Garden of Eden when Jesus and his disciples were there 2,000 years ago. We are in the midst right now with our ministry partner in Israel trying to set up a trip for mid-November of this year, and we would love to take some of you over to serve with us, serving the churches in Israel, and then kind of touring the country and seeing what's going on. But the the Garden of Gethsemane was was a special place for me because Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed for you, and he prayed for me. And as he was on his knees praying, the Bible says that in that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed so fervently, knowing that he was going to die and that people were going to kind of be lost without him, He prayed so fervently, the Bible says that his sweat became like drops of blood, and he actually started sweating blood in the Garden of Eden. If if you go to the next spot, this is a stone that they've commemorated. I don't know whether or not Jesus sweated blood on this rock or not, but they've earth-tested that to well more than 2,000 years ago. And you can see people in the top corner. They go in there, they touch it, they take pictures of it. And this commemorates the spot where Jesus on his hands and his knees poured out his heart for us, saying, Lord, you gotta help them because I'm gonna be crucified and I'm gonna rise again, but I'm gonna come back to heaven. And there's gonna be all these Christians who they would make it if I was their next door neighbor. But they're gonna be on their own. And I am worried about them. That was Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. I'm worried about them. And he prayed in John chapter 17, verse 17, a very simple, interesting prayer. And he said this in the Bible as we read it. He said, sanctify them, Lord. He's praying for you and me now. And he says, sanctify them. What does sanctify mean? The word sanctify means set apart. The word sanctify means make different. The word sanctify means make holy. By the way, the word holy only means different. Uh, it, It really wasn't a religious word until we filled our Bible with it. It just means different. Jesus said, God, I want you to make Christians different. I want you to sanctify. I want them to set apart, be set apart, and to stand out from people as having something special in their life. And Jesus said this, because you would ask, well, how does that happen? And Jesus said, sanctify them. 
Set them apart. Make them different. Change their lives by the truth. Well, what truth? Jesus says, your word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Here was Jesus' prayer for you and I as he prayed in that garden so fervently that his sweats turned to drops of blood. Here's what Jesus prayed. God, it's so important that Christians' lives be made different, that they stand out, that they become holy, that their lives are changed radically. God, that's so important for me that this is my last prayer before I'm going to be arrested and crucified. And God, I know how that happens. That's going to happen as people begin to get into the truth as people begin to read the Bible, as people begin to know your word, God, their life will be changed. I want to talk to you today about inner detox. I want to talk to you today about changing from the inside out. And and of all the things I could talk to you about, I want to try to draw it down to the one I believe is the most simple and the most applicable and the most practical. I want to talk to you this year about reading your Bible. And getting getting into a habit this year like never before where you get so faithful and you get so disciplined and you take the challenge so well to read your Bible that at the end of this year, 2013, your life is different, not because you came to church more, not because you got a raise in your job, not because you, you got a promotion at work. Your life is different because you began to read your Bible maybe more or more effectively or more fervently or with more discipline than ever before. I want to try this year to give you one habit that I believe, according to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying so fervently that he sweat drops of blood. I want to give you one habit that I believe could radically change your life from the inside out. Only one habit that I'm going to talk to you about today about reading your Bible. And I want to answer today or maybe state for you four, four reasons why you should read your Bible, and then let you make the decision whether or not this is a year that you'll take your Bible, that you'll crack it open, and that you will fervently begin to be changed from the inside out. Why should I read my Bible? Four reasons that the Bible gives us that I want to share with you today. Number one, we read our Bible simply because it helps us to know God. And I don't know about you, but the mission and the goal of my life now is to know more about God as I go forward, or maybe not even more about, to know God better in my personal life as I go forward than I do today. When people ask me what my spiritual goals are for the year, I, I have boiled my spiritual goals down to one thing. Because I used to do things. I used to have lists. And someone would say, what are your spiritual goals for this year? And I would give them the ten things that I want to do. Here's my spiritual goal, to know Jesus better. It's my one goal. Now, there are several ways that I'm going to do that. But, you know, I could set 10 spiritual goals, fulfill them all, and if my goal wasn't to know Jesus through them, I could accomplish all of them and not be any closer to God. I read my Bible because I want to know God better. The Apostle Paul, you heard me say, was the greatest Christian preacher that ever lived, probably because I don't know that we would characterize Jesus as a Christian, because a Christian means a follower of Christ, so he would be the, the leader of Christianity. Paul was probably the greatest Christian that ever lived. Paul, I think, had more impact on the church than anyone in the history of the church. And Paul, near the end of his ministry, and you've got to understand, Paul had started dozens of churches. Paul had led thousands of people to Christ and seen them baptized. I mean, Paul wrote more than half of the New Testament. Paul was a very, very important guy. You and I would look at Paul and say, like, this guy's got it together spiritually. Yet in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talked about where he was spiritually just as a man, and what his goals were spiritually as a man. And I love the first five words of Philippians 3.10. This is one of my life verses because Paul, at a point where I'll never get spiritually, had this desperation about him. In Philippians 3.10, he said, I want to know Christ. 
Now we would say, wait a minute, Paul, you do know Christ. And you tell everyone about Christ. And you saw Christ in a vision. And you've been broken out of prison by angels. Paul, if anyone knows who Jesus is, you know who Jesus is. And Paul said, not enough. I need to know him more. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Here's what, here's what Paul was saying. I want to know more about the life of Jesus. I want to know more about the ministry of Jesus. I want to know more about what it means to be a Christian so that I can become more like Jesus and so that I can get more out of life like Jesus did. Now, I think there are two things primarily that really help people know God better. You know, I, I keep uh, on my desk, on a shelf on my desk, this notebook because it's, it's very near and dear to me. This notebook is from a Church Growth International Conference that I went to in 2009 in Seoul, Korea. And it was in this notebook on October 23rd of 2009 that I was sitting in a ministry session. Here's a page right there where I believe that God first spoke to me that I was supposed to sell my house, move, come to Jackson County and start a church called Journey Church International. And on October 23rd, 2009, as God birthed this dream in me, it was the very first time I ever wrote Journey Church, Jackson County, Labor Day 2011. Almost two years in advance, I, I believe God was saying, this is my plan for you. And I'll tell you what scared me to death. What scared me about this vision to start a church was not the pastoring aspect of it. It wasn't having to sell my house. It wasn't having to move. It wasn't having to start over. Here's what I thought as I began to process this. I thought, I am not a good enough Christian to be a pastor. I'm not faithful enough to the things that spiritually mature Christians should be faithful to God. Like, I am willing, but I don't think I'm ready. And there were two major areas that I wrestled with in the month after this. I looked at my Bible reading habits, and I read my Bible maybe two or three days a week. Now remember, I had been in ministry a decade at this point, and I read my Bible maybe two or three days a week. I was always starting and stopping, and I'm going to go a day without missing, and then I'd miss, and you know, I'm going to go a week without missing, and then I'd miss a month. I mean, I was, I was not very faithful. Like, God, I can't be a pastor. I can't even commit to read the Bible, and I was a terrible husband. Now, my wife might not say terrible, or she might say that's an understatement, but I was not a good husband, and I thought, God, I am not ready to be an example to men in the church of what a husband should be, so I, I knew I had a lot of work to do, and it was like, you know, God, I'd love to be obedient, but like, I'm a long way from where I need to be. And I felt like God specifically, those two things, breathed them in my heart. We're going to get you ready as a husband because you've got to be an example of what a good husband and a good father is. And Christian, we've got to get you in the Word. And one of the men who's in our church right here on the front row, Chris Zerby and I, met every week at that time. We, we were kind of accountability partners. We studied the Bible together. And we decided that we were going to hold each other accountable to read our Bibles 40 days in a row without missing. That was our goal, to read our Bibles 40 days. So on November 17th, 2009, Zerb and I set a goal that for 40 days, we are going to read our Bible every day, even if it's only like a minute a day. For 40 straight days, we're going to develop a habit to read the Bible. And as we got near the end of that 40 days, I, you know, I, I felt real good, and I had made it, and I had been real disciplined. And Chris actually came to me. I didn't come to him, and he said, hey, I think that, because uh, it was near the new year, he said, I, I think um, that I'm going to try to go all of 2010, a whole year, without missing a day of reading the Bible. And it really upset me because I thought, you know, if he does it, I have, like, I'm the pastor. If he, you know, I can't say, I'll pray for you, but I, you know, I don't want to do that. It's like, dang it, you know, all right, every day for a year, hurrah. You know, I mean, it was like, Chris, I, you know, I don't want to do that. But what happened is I developed this habit of reading the Bible. 
that turned into a lifestyle of knowing God. And I have these Bibles on this podium this morning, and, and I struggled to bring them on here because I know, in my, I know that I struggle with pride. I know that I want people to think well of me. I know that I want people to think I'm a good Christian, and, and I don't want this display to be about me. But I do want to say between October 23rd and two, of 2009 when God called me to start a church, and today these are the Bibles that I have read. Um, Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. All four of them, every word of them. Um, and you know that if you read your Bible 12 minutes a day every day for a year, you'll read through the entire Bible 12 minutes a day. If you read your Bible 20 minutes a day, you'll read through the Bible in about nine months. I did not commit to read four Bibles. I didn't set them down and read them one at a time. I just said, you know what? I don't think that I know God enough to start a church, so I better get to know him. And I developed this habit that continues. And when I read a Bible, I, I finish it. I'll, I'll put the date I started it at the front of it, and then I'll put the date that I, that I ended it. Began January 1st, 2009. See, this, this is the first one I started, completed March 23rd. So this one took me 15 months to read. But I'll always in the front and in, in back, and then I'll throw them on my shelf. Began 12-27-2011, completed November 4, 2012. And I'll read a Bible and I'll throw it on a shelf. And I'll make notes in my Bible. And a lot of notes I'll write to my kids. Because one day when my kids are older and when they go to college, I'm going to give them one of my Bibles. Say, so this one is for you. As you read it, I want you to see how God has spoken to your dad's heart. And I read a Bible and I throw it on the shelf. And then I get a different translation. All these are different translations. All these are different study Bibles. And I'll get a Bible and I'll throw it on the shelf. And I don't say that so you'll think, man, Christian, like you are really spiritual. No, here's what I want you to think, Christian. Like you are really desperate to know who God is, aren't you? Yes, I am. Because I'm making decisions that impact not only myself, but an entire church of people. And like, if I don't, if I'm not careful to see what God wants me to do, like I could really blow it spiritually, not just for me, but for a lot of people. So you get to know God by reading your Bible. There's really only two things that have taught me who God is and how God wants, to leave, live, how God wants me to live my life. One of them is just faithfully reading the Bible. One of them is taking steps of faith. When God says, do this, and you're like, I, I don't know how, and God says, just trust me. Taking steps of faith that I didn't know how, how they were going to work out, those have taught me who God is. Reading my Bible faithfully has taught me who God is. I, I've talked to a couple different couples in our church who today is going to be the first day that they attempt to work their finances towards a tithe. You have no idea how it's going to work out, but you feel like God has spoken that into your heart as far as leading your finances. In 90 days, you will know God way better than you do today because he's going to become real to you. Every time you step out in faith, God becomes a little more real to you. Every time you read the Bible, God becomes a little more real to you. So why should I read my Bible? Because it will help you know who God is. Number two, why should I read my Bible? Here's the purpose of this series. Here's the purpose of our church because it will help you live for God. And this is what we're trying to develop. People who are far from God, who become passionate Christians, close to God, who then make a difference in the world, they live for God. We're, we're trying to help people live for God at our church. I love Galatians 5, 16 and 17 because it is the perfect picture. And, and let me ask you, did any of you ever watch Tom and Jerry when you were little kids um, or, or any of those great cartoons? There is a picture in those cartoons um, did any of you remember the Sylvester, the cat who used to want to eat the little yellow bird, the Tweety bird? Do you remember him? Um, there is a picture in those cartoons that we laugh at, but it is so biblically sound. And it's, it's the picture of this. Sylvester the cat 
with the Tweety Bird in his paw, and he's got a little angel on one shoulder telling him not to do it, and he's got a little, what's the, what's the other one? He's got a little devil on this shoulder, and he's telling him to do it, and he's like torn between who, am I going to listen to the good or am I going to listen to the bad? And we see that and we laugh at that, except that's exactly what Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says happens in our life every day. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 describe our life spiritually as having a good voice that's trying to get us to live for God and having a voice, the Bible calls it the flesh, that's trying to get us to live for ourselves. And here's how it describes it in Galatians 5, 17. Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit, Spirit's a good voice, so that you won't gratify the desires of the flesh, bad voice. For the flesh desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the flesh, and, and they're in conflict with each other so that you don't do whatever you want to do. So Paul says, there, there's going to be some Christians who, like, they know what they're supposed to do spiritually, and they hear that in their head and in their soul. Like, as a Christian, you should do this. But then even though they're a Christian, they're going to have this part of their deal that says, well, you don't have to do that, and God will forgive you, and who really cares, and is God even real? And Paul said, like, you're going to have this inner turmoil that's like this every day. And Paul says, a lot of times you're not going to do what you want unless you learn to live by the Spirit. You see, the Bible will give you spiritual life and help you really experience what God's truth is. You know, I had a conversation two weeks ago that I've had with about a dozen people in our church um, the last year. And the conversation went something like this, and it's a conversation that I've had with people and that I've had personally for, uh, for years. Um, and the conversation was this, Christian, it seems like every other Sunday when you invite people to pray, to get their life right with God, like I feel like I do that every week. Is there something wrong with me? And I told him no. And I told everyone I've had this conversation with, I said, no. What you're trying, I said, you've got this heart to pursue Jesus, but for some reason you don't have a life that you feel matches your pursuit yet. And here's what I find happens to people spiritually, especially when you lead youth ministry, um, you see people who get real excited spiritually, um, and, and we would say they catch fire spiritually, and if this sets off a smoke alarm, I, I apologize, um, but like for a day, for a week, for a month, they're really excited, and, and then they're not. And then they'll go to church again, or they'll go to a youth camp, or they'll go on a missions trip, or a guest speaker will come in, and they'll like get really excited spiritually, and like they'll read their Bible for a day, or two, or three, or a week, or a month, and they'll invite people to church, and they'll live for God, but then very slowly, if they wait long enough, you know, that week, that month, that year is supposed to burn out. That's a pretty good match right there. <laughs> this little light of mine. Um, you get the point. And it's like, Christian, when does that quit happening? When, when does it quit happening that I get fired up and then I burn out? And then I get fired up and I burn out. And then I get fired up and I get burned out. When does it quit happening? I'm only excited for Jesus on Sunday. And I tell people, not until you connect the fire to a source that can keep it lit. Right? And see, this little blue thing is filled with something, lighter fluid or oil or something, that gives this flame the ability to stay lit. And what the, what the Bible is to your spiritual life is what this blue thing is. It's a source to keep the fire lit. And some of you are not going to stay passionate and on fire and excited spiritually 
until you get a source of spiritual fuel in your life to every day give the flame what it needs. You see, reading your Bible will help you live for God. Church will get you fired up for a day or two. Reading your Bible will help you live for God every day. Reading your Bible, number three, um, will help you become spiritually minded. And man, don't we need more people who, who think more spiritually minded. In Colossians 3, 2, the Bible says, since then you've been raised with Christ. What does that mean? Since you've become a Christian. Since, since you are a Christian, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So the Bible says, listen, since you're a Christian, you need to think spiritually. You need to understand spiritually. You need to have a filter in your life that, that tells you spiritual things that should come in and spiritual things that you should go out. You know, one thing reading the Bible does is it serves as a great filter. And we all know there's things in our life that need to be filtered out. Those of you who know me know that I'm a football fan. And, I mean, I so thoroughly enjoyed New Year's Eve and New Year's Day because I started on the couch at 9 a.m. and I ended on the couch at 11 p.m. and I watched football all day long. Um, and I did that yesterday and I'll do that today. And, you know, I, I told my parents and they didn't get it. But I said, you know, because they said, Christian, you watch too much football. And I said, you know, I feel like the Lord has spoken to me this year that on my birthday, I need to take six months off of um, watching football. That, what they didn't know is my birthday is the day after the Super Bowl, and there's not football again for six months. So they were like, man, that is like God is speaking to you. And I was like, amen. Um, even though, <laughs> never mind. Um, <clears throat> But as I was watching these football games, my son was watching it, and I, I'll tell you what, man, ESPN, if, if I had the, di the director of programming for ESPN, I, I would choke him and maybe punch him in the face because every other commercial for, on ESPN during these bowl games was for Texas Chainsaw Massacre and some uh, movie where, like, little haunted kids from the woods come in and freak some people out. And my son and daughter have been so afraid to go to bed just because they were watching football with my dad, that we, we quit letting them watch, or we would TiVo the games so that we could fast-forward through the commercials, because we knew there had to be a filter. And, and you say, well, what taught you the filter? The Word of God teaches me what things shouldn't be in my life. Talked to one of the men in our church yesterday who was in a religious setting where a pastor did some things that were contextually, and to his crowd, totally inappropriate, and the Spirit of God just spoke to his heart, said, this isn't right. And it, and it kind of filtered it out, and he left. The Bible will serve as a filter, but more than that, the Bible will serve to teach us, to, to help us have what comes out be what the Spirit of God would want to come out. You know, Gatorade has this great slogan, is it in you? And they've got these commercials now where they show people sweating, and they're like sweating Gatorade. Have you seen these commercials where they sweat orange and blue and yellow? Or maybe it's Powerade. I don't know what it is. But there's this thought that, that you've poured so much Gatorade in that what comes out is Gatorade. How many of us have poured so much Scripture in that the way we act and react and process everything is the way the Bible tells us to? Because we've become so spiritually minded. Let me show you how this works when, when something grabs our mind and races with it. Friday is Danielle and I's date day. Our, our staff work week is Sunday all day long through Thursday all day long. Friday we, we take the day off. Saturday we try to have a family day as a, as, as a staff team. So Danielle and I went to see a movie, and we went to see a movie um, called Les Miserables. Um, it looks like less miserables, but it's more miserables than, than you could imagine if you're not into that kind of thing. 
So we go see this movie, right? And I mean, for, like I got slammed on Facebook. You know, people are like, hey, dummy, it's an opera. Listen, I've seen it, believe it or not, in the theater. I've seen the opera in, in the theater. I, I know it's a musical. I've seen it, and it was very enjoyable. But I also in 1998 saw the movie with Liam Neeson, and like he didn't sing the whole time. Like he was just a tough guy. You know, Liam Neeson's like, he can like break your nose by staring at you. I mean, he's, he's tough. So like I'm going to a movie. I expect to see a movie, and the movie comes on, and, and there's Wolverine from X-Men. And he's like singing his guts out. And he's like, yeah, la, 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 la. I'm like, what is going on? And then there's a gladiator dressed like Napoleon Bonaparte. And he's like singing his guts out. And I'm like, what, what, what is happening? And there, there's Catwoman from Batman, Anne Hathaway. And she's singing. And like five minutes in the movie, I turned to Danielle and I said, are they going to sing the, the whole time? And this is not planned. And cut that now y'all are going to sing that because she dreamed a dream like the whole movie and then like three hours later everyone dies and they go to heaven and they're all singing in heaven it was the only time that I thought you know if this is heaven I don't know that I want to do that <laughs> except like I get out of the movie and I want to sing rather than speak the rest of the day you know Danielle's like where do you want to eat lunch and I was like I don't care you know I mean it was just like why am I singing and then for the next two days all I could hear was that like what had gone in was coming out and I almost hit myself in the head with a hammer because I could not stop singing that stupid song that they just played on the deal that they were going to have I don't even know how they knew I was going to talk about this I didn't even tell them to do that they just did that and now they're fired and we need a new sound person and that I mean that's the way that's the way that happens but it's like you've had that happen where something gets stuck on the inside and it comes out over and over and over and over. What would happen if we all got scripture stuck on the inside and we just began to live every part of our life, every action, every reaction, every feeling according to scripture? It would change our lives. And that's what developing this habit of reading the Bible will do. It will change your life. And then finally, number four. And this is where I get a lot, a lot of my daily Bible reading does this for me. It encourages me and it gives me direction. It's exactly what I need for exactly what I'm going through. And it, ge it gives me enough to just say, okay, God, I trust you in this situation. Uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. The first leader in the Old Testament, or if you have Jewish friends, what they would refer to as the Hebrew Bible, the Genesis through Malachi, uh, the first leader in the Old Testament or in Judaism or in the Hebrew Bible that actually had a copy of Scripture was Joshua. Um, Adam didn't have a Bible. Noah didn't have a Bible. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't have Bibles. Joseph didn't have a Bible. Moses didn't have a Bible. None of those great men of God had something that they could read to tell them about God. The first person who ever had a, a copy of a book that told them about God was Joshua. And one of the very first statements ever made to Joshua by God was this. This book of the law, we call that the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth. But you should meditate in it day and night. And you should observe to do everything that's written in it. For then you'll make your way prosperous. And then you'll have good success. See, no leader before Joshua had ever had a Bible. But now that Joshua had one, God said, Hey, Joshua, this is like your first order of business, Joshua. Before you fight a war, before you lead the people, like here's the most important thing for you to know. Take this Bible and like read it. Think about it. Do what it says. And spiritually, man, you'll be okay. You know, my goal for this series 
is that your life will be prepared to be useful for God this year. The first way that that will really happen in our church is when we get a church of men and women and teenagers, students, who will read the Bible together. So as I wrap up this message, I've asked our ushers to come down the aisle, and they're going to pass these out, I believe, is how we're going to do that today. I just didn't want you to have this the whole time. And it's just a little card that says Soul Soul Detox 2013 Bible Reading Challenge. And here, as they give this to you, I I want you to have this more for what's on the back than what's on the front. I think it'll be on the screen behind me. But I want you to have this and put it in your pocket or put it in your Bible because I believe this can help you with reading the Bible. Here's my goal for the men and the women in our church, that you begin reading your Bible. So I want to give you some challenges, some options to figure that out. Um, Option number one. Man, I would love for as many of you as possible to read through the Bible this year. Say, how do I do that? 12 minutes a day at the pace someone speaks will get you from Genesis to Revelation by the end of the year. You could just start in the front and read it all the way through. You'll have some really exciting parts. You'll have some crazy parts. You'll have some incredibly boring parts. But you'll get through the Bible in the course of a year. If you read your Bible, 12 to 15 minutes a day. Um, Maybe you say, Christian, I don't have 12 to 15 minutes a day. I could never imagine reading the whole Bible through. So read the Bible every day this year. Um, and, and I would encourage you to start in Psalms and Proverbs. Read one Psalm every day this year. There's 150 Psalms. That gets you halfway through the year. Read one Proverb um, at one, at, over the course of the year. That's a hun- between those two, there's 181 days. So almost half the year if you just read Psalms and Proverbs. Read either Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the story of Jesus. But every day this year, read one chapter of Scripture. I'll give you this tip. If you start today with Psalm chapter 1, it's six verses. It will take you less than 30 seconds to read one chapter of the Bible today, Psalm 1. Read every day this year at least one chapter. Option number three, read the New Testament this year. If you've never read through the entire Bible, and listen, if you've read the New Testament five or six times but never read the Old Testament, it's time for you to go back to the Old Testament But if you've not developed a habit of reading, read the New Testament this year. Just start five or ten minutes a day. Get into the New Testament. Just start reading the New Testament through. If you miss a day, no big deal. Just pick up where you left off. But I I want you to get into reading the Bible this year. Now on the back, I've given you a cheat sheet to make it a little easier for you. And and I've given you some tips for how to understand how how to really learn the Bible. One, I would encourage you to do this. Get a great study Bible. And this means you might, have to, you might have to go shopping. You might have to dedicate a, a date day fund or a round of golf or something to buy a Bible. You say, what's the difference between a regular Bible and a study Bible? This is a Bible I preach out of because it's nice and thin, but it's not a study Bible. It's just like the Bible. It's like the paper Bible that we give you. It just has the words of Scripture. These are all study Bibles. Um, you say, what's the difference between a regular Bible and a study Bible? A study Bible has, um, has notes in it. So there'll be some scripture, and then below it'll tell you exactly what the scripture means. Um, a study Bible has, like when you read uh, before every book, um, they all have book introductions. Who wrote it? Why they wrote it? When they wrote it? What it's about? So it just teaches you a little more. So I would encourage every one of you to get a study Bible. The Bible that I read last year was the New Living Translation Study Bible. They have study Bible and life application Bibles. I would encourage you, go get a new Bible to read this year. Um, Number two, get a reading plan. Now, you can go on our website under spiritual growth or next steps, and there's ways you can read the Bible. It's just orders of books. But there is a great website called uversion.com. 
um, that will, if you have a smartphone or if you have a tablet or if you have an email address, it will email you every day what you're supposed to read. It'll give you a verse of the day that it will text message your phone. You can go on this U version. It's free. You can sign up. Go under Bible reading plans. They'll have whole Bible re re reading plans where they'll tell you exactly what to read every day of the year. They'll have partial Bible reading plans. If you just want to read the New Testament, here's what you need to read every day this year. You're going to have to put some feet to this message to accomplish these things. Uh, tip number three, always have a pen. I never read my Bible without a pen so I can take notes like if something sticks out. Um, write down what you learn. Uh, write down what you have questions about. Yesterday, I read a verse that I put a big question mark by because I read it, I didn't understand it, and I know I need to go study it more. And I, I read through the Bible several times. There's still a lot of things I read that I don't get. So I, I, I put a question mark so that I can ask questions. Um, tip number four, I always tell people, pray before you read and after you read. This is not an educational exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. And when I say pray, I mean this. Lord, help me to get to know you better. And then afterwards, I try to always pick out like one thing that I learned, and I'll say, Lord, help me to apply that. Help me to remember that. Help me to be more like that. Help me to forgive. Help, help me to do this. So, I mean, like a minute a long or less prayer before and after I read, but, but, I, but I try to read so that I can know God and so that I can grow. Now, here's the truth of the matter as we step into 2013. Our church is growing. Um, when you look at our church this January versus last January, our church is growing. Um, organizationally, we're growing. We're getting ready to start two services on February 3rd. We start a brand new series on marriage, and we're beginning two services that day because we don't have enough room for the kids in the nursery anymore. We need to take half the kids in the nursery out, and that means we either need to tell half the families in our church to go to church someplace else, or we start another service and we bring you in one at a time. So on February 3rd, we're going to have two services, a 915 and a 1045, identical services, identical kids' ministry. We're going to ask you to come to one or the other because our church is growing, our structure and our organization needs to grow. Our leadership team needs to grow. We're going to need more people to volunteer because we're going to have more things going on. But here's the deal. If our church grows and our organization grows and we get more leaders, but you don't grow spiritually, it doesn't mean anything. The goal of our church is not for our church to grow. It's for you to grow. The goal of our church is not for our organization to grow. It's for you to grow. The goal of our church is not for our leadership base to expand and to have more volunteers. The goal of our church is for you to grow. So more important than two services, more leaders, more people, is you growing spiritually. And the first step of that, I believe, according to Jesus' prayer in John 17, 17, sweating so much, sweating so fervently and turned to drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane where I stood about eight months ago. Your first step, Jesus said, is to get into the Word so that your life can be changed from the inside out. I'm going to ask you to commit to do that this year like never before and watch your life be radically changed. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name so grateful for your challenge and for your truth that you have given us about growing spiritually, about being changed spiritually, about the ability to be different from the inside out. And God, I pray for the men and women in our church as they are a part of a growing church, a growing organization, a growing volunteer base, that they will be a growing Christian, always growing in their passion for you, always growing in their proximity to you, always growing in their knowledge of you, in their obedience to you. And Lord, understanding and knowing you more every day of their life. God, I pray for the men and women in our church who this year will read their Bible more than last year. I pray for the person who did not read their Bible one day in 2012. 
that they will read it at least one day in 2013 because they will have taken a step forward. I pray for those who eh, maybe read it sporadically in 2012, that they'd read it just a little more frequently and take a step forward. I pray for those who are like me, that they would say that they kind of read their Bible, but it's a day, two, or three a week, that they get real consistent to work their way all the way through Scripture this year. And that, God, that you would transform people, and by transforming people, that you would transform our church from the inside, from the outside, relationally, missionally, like we're going to talk about this month. We need you in our lives. We desire you in our lives. We're desperate people for you like the Apostle Paul. Help us to know you through getting real committed to reading your word this year. Now, heads are bowed and eyes are closed in this auditorium. And I want to ask a question of intention today. Meaning this, as we get to the end of this message with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you intend to move forward and to be in your Bible more in 2013 than you were in 2012. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand right now so that I can pray for you? Christian, I'm going to try to be in my Bible more in 2013 than I was in 2012. You can lower your hands. God, I pray for the dozens, if not hundreds of people that just raised their hands, that through their commitment to being in the Word, that they would not be like a matchstick Christian on fire, out of fire, on fire, out of fire, needing every week to be restruck again so they can feel close to you. But Lord, that we would put a source next to our spiritual fervency that would keep us burning, keep us on fire, keep us committed, keep us passionate. And God, change us as people because of the commitments that we have made. Now God, I pray for this church, for the people who are here, for those who are still traveling because their kids haven't started school yet. And Lord, I pray that this year you would transform us as people so that we can be transformed as a church, so we can do more for this community, for the families in it, for the families in our church, for the mission causes we support around the world. Help us to do more next year than we did last year because of the inner transformation of the people in our church. Love you. Bless these things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said together, amen.